following program is brought to you in living color on NBC. They'll know you've arrived when you drive up in the 1958 Edsel, the car that's truly new from nameplate to taillights. Now your host, Walt Disney. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Welcome to that tip-top terrific and splendidly prolific waltz down memory lane, the Mid-Modcast. And here are your Mid-Modcasters, Craig, Paula, and Dave. Hey, welcome to the Mid-Modcast, where all your mid-century dreams come true. I'm Craig. Who are you, people? I'm Paula. Do they really come true? Mine do. Uh, <laughs> Don't forget, nightmares are dreams, too. Oh, good point. Yes, I'm Paula. <laughs> and this is Dave. And by the way, Paula might sound a little tired. This is just a quick shout-out. To Paula and all the other hardworking educators who, at this time of the year, they're just done. And I know that my wife, who is also an educator, I'm a former educator, she has one more week of school left. Yep, me too. so excited. So hang in there, Paula. The end is in sight. Yes, we could do this. <laughs> I, hey, we, you guys, do you, we, do you know that this is an episode with two Davids? I know. That's crazy. It's going to get confusing, know, right? It's going to get really confusing fast here. And it's a, a David F and a David G. Ooh. Yeah, man. <laughs> so anyway, uh, if you would like to find us on the internet, Paula, why don't you give it a shot and see if you can All tell right, everybody we'll where to go and what. By the way, thanks it's for always that. an adventure. Thanks for that shout out, Dave. Um, you know, for all of our hardworking educators out you there. You guys work really hard. I know. <laughs> you, can, you can reach us at, on Facebook, The Mid Modcast. You can find us on Twitter at The Mid Modcast, at The Mid Modcast. You can also find us on um, on that Instagram thing at The Mid Modcast. <laughs> and we do have a phone number, which is 216-309-2204. 216-309-2204. And we really thank our listeners who've emailed us. Um, apparently, you heard me correctly. It's midmodcast at gmail.com. You got it. <laughs> yeah. We need, yes. We need a cheering audience now. All right. Next week, I will go into the mailbag of the Gmail oh, nice. and read some of those fabulous yeah. emails and some of those great Facebook messages. Did I leave anything out? Oh, the I, email we do haven't yet. Yeah, I just said, Oh that. wait, the oh, website, the website, we have a website that puts everything all together for you at midmodcast at the mid, at nope. the, nope. Just midmodcast.com. Uh, at midmodcast.com. Now you've got me confused. I'm pretty sure or it's just, just midmodcast.com. Just, uh, Google, just it. Google it. There you go. Jeez. Google I know, but here, he has yeah. to just keep doing this to me. Well, <laughs> it's it, a shtick. Probably by the time we're ready to quit doing the podcast, you'll get it straight. So that's, uh. that's all good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we would love to hear from you and we would uh, love to interact with you. We've got a wonderful group on Facebook and do check that out. David Fritz, why don't you tell us what we're doing today and who we're doing it with? Well, thank you, Craig D'Onofrio. I am really excited to welcome our guest, David Gaston, to episode 38 
of the Ben Modcast. He is a producer, freelance writer, agent, and music and film historian based in Los Angeles. He is producer of the Vintage Music compilation series, This Is Vintage Now, which we'll talk about in just a moment. He works as Japanese representative for Dallas-based jazz singer Laura Ainsworth and his production and export company, Swing City Productions, release albums to the Japanese market via the jazz label Rats Pack Records. As a Wikipedia writer, he has worked with clients such as Robbie Robertson, Canadian songwriter, uh, songwriter Jane Siberly, rockabilly impresario Tav Falco, William Shatner producer Adam Hamilton, and Vogue and L cover photographer Jim Jordan. Gaston's fans, uh, I'm sorry, Gaston fan websites, the Pola Negri appreciation site, and Betsy Bitch, First Lady of American Metal, had been read worldwide and have made positive advances for the reputations of both of their subjects. Such an impressive bio. Welcome yes. to the show, David. Welcome. Well, hi there. Thank you so much, Fritz. It's so good to uh, meet you, and thank you for inviting me to be on the Mid-Modcast. You are welcome. So, uh, D- David, we... I, I just need to express this commonality that we have via Shatner. Um, we, we went to see Craig Ferguson being filmed, and you never know who you're going to get. And, of course, it was Shatner, and it was a life-changing experience. So that's our our oh, brush cool. with Shatner greatness right there. Yes. That was amazing. Right. My, my, uh, I actually haven't met Shatner himself, but his producer – is a real good, uh, real good uh, friends with William Shatner. They go over to his place for Thanksgiving and stuff like that. Yeah, and I, uh, yeah, great, great guy. Adam Hamilton is his name, and I, like I said, I did his uh, Wikipedia um, bio, bio for him. Great guy. Nice. Wow. So, yeah. David, the idea was to have you on the shows so that we could discuss female vocalists and jazz musicians from the mid-century era, which we'll still do. Right a bit of today, but then a really cool thing happened. Issue number 11 of Exotica Modern magazine came out and it contained a very special insert. Would you like to tell us what that was? I'd be happy to. That is uh, the uh, album full length CD. This is vintage now volume two. Happiness is a way of life. Um, It is a record that has been, um, in production for eight years, and for that reason, I call it the Chinese democracy of vintage. It, <laughs> for that reason, because it took so long to release it, and people were wondering if it was going to happen. But it, yes, it did happen. Um, the album contains, uh, to just kind of say it quickly, uh, uh, tracks from 2007 to 2017. That's when they were recorded, but they sound like they walked right out of the 1950s and 60s. We went for the really, really... Um, authentic artists, the best ones we could possibly get. And we're getting wonderful responses to this. I'm really happy. It was, I'd say it was kind of worth the eight years after this. Why don't we take a little cut from uh, this album and people can get a little idea of what this is all about. Here we go with fly me to the Island.
don't know about you, but when Ooh, I hear that, really nice. I feel like I should be sipping on a Mai Tai. Oh, I feel yes. so yeah. relaxed. It just kind of <laughs> transported me just for a minute there. Beautiful. That was incredible. And that was a neat surprise to see that in, the, in the magazine. I especially love right. the look of it, too, because it looked like an old single, the little record. I just thought that was so, so cute, too. Very clever. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, the, uh, I think you might be referring to the, uh, the CD art, which actually does look like uh, it, it does look like a little uh, seven inch uh, single single the actual CD face itself. Yeah. yeah, we tried we tried to think of everything for this, and it was a, uh, a lot of fun putting all that together. Um, the album art, the front cover is by uh, uh, Ken Holos- uh, Ken Holosinski, who is the uh, editor of Exotica Modern. He uh, did that front cover. The back cover is by a mid century uh, artist by the name of Donna Mibus. And we actually even, uh, I actually wrote an article about Donna for the, uh, this version of Exotica Moderna that you can, um, that you can get when, if you, when you get the CD and magazine set. And it, for the listeners who haven't heard of Exotica Moderna or haven't received a copy, it's a wonderful magazine. It's beautiful. Um, we just started getting it this year and it's, it's basically about the current tiki scene. It's by and for the tiki crowds. It talks about bars, mixology, of what pub crawls are going on, any books, any records. What 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 is going on in the tiki scene? You subscribe to the Exotica Modern magazine, but it is just a gorgeous looking magazine, and the ads are all fun and beautiful as well. It's a really really cool magazine. I agree in full. Yeah. When I, when I uh, first saw this magazine, um, you know, I had already been working on this as Vintage Now Volume 2. Um, Flex had been in production for eight years. And one of the things that I instantly saw when I saw this magazine was, holy cow, the design aesthetic is un- incredible. Yes. Uh, you know, this is Vintage Now Volume 2 and Exotica Modern would be wonderful together. And I actually uh, took that idea and I, I ran with it. What happened was I uh, talked with editor Ken about uh, doing that. And, you know, he had to think about it for a while, but he decided to go for it. And we ended up uh, working together. He was wonderful to work with. Uh, and uh, I, I'm just still stunned at how um, how much care and beauty and just incredible design aesthetic he put into uh, the This Is Vintage Now articles that went into uh, the magazine. It, it, I, I'm just still stunned at how beautiful they are. So, uh, yeah, definitely big um, kudos to Ken for that. It, it's a beautiful thing. That track that we just heard, Fly Me to the Island, uh, artist that I've never heard of, Kenny Sasaki. Well, what can you tell us Kenny about Sasaki him? Kenny Sasaki is a um, Yeah, so Kenny Sasaki, uh, a.k.a. Ken Sasaki, uh, he is a bass player and also a uh, composer of film and television music he's based in tokyo huh. as in japan and um he started uh he caught the tiki bug the you know the exotica bug um a while back and started releasing records um in that style the the albums kind of started out more electronic and then got more vintage sounding as they went and uh that's from their third what you just heard was originally on their third album, which is called Island Slumber, that came out in 2010. Highly recommend listening to this record because it's just all the way down the line, just this wonderful uh, tiki record that will, uh, there's 
just incredible amount of like just easygoing minimalism that you you just you know can do work to, and it's it's just an incredible record. Highly recommended. So that, um, yeah, that that's Kenny Sasaki and Tiki Boy. I'm going to put that on my wish list. It, it was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. You know, th- there are a couple of questions that we usually ask around here, and. It's just kind of personal history. How and when did you become a fan of all things vintage, especially this music and everything? Thanks for asking. Um, That was a very gradual thing. And what happened, though, was it was the Swing Revival that really put me over. So I was working with, um, actually was invited to work with um, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Miles Jones who was uh, doing uh, swing, uh, swing lessons in Dallas, and he needed a DJ. And so uh, between uh, 1998 and 2000, so about a year and a half, I worked with him during that time, and um, I had a, a broadcasting background, background before that, and then that was what really got me going with, um, you know, kind of learning to DJ for an audience and stuff like that. And I really got thrown into the deep end with all of that. It was at the very beginning, it was very embarrassing. I'm not going to lie to you, but I just kind of took the, um, uh, just took the bull by the horns and I was of the mind, I'm going to, I'm going to crack this and I'm going to get in there and do this. And, um, I'm very glad I did. I mean, that was what got me going. I, I just, you know, that just brought, um, vintage as we call it today alive to me just you know going to the um the swing dances and seeing people dressed to the nines going out afterwards uh eating to these um you know terrible uh what do you call diners and eating the cheap food and playing the jukebox and (laughs) yeah i was i was i was i was set for life like uh, okay yeah this this is for me um right after that i went into working with um, a gentleman by the name of Little Anthony. He mentored me for a couple of years. Uh, he's a Northern Soul entertainer. He entered me uh, for a, a couple of years in the old style of um, of entertaining that uh, was popular, kind of in the 1950s and 60s. And then I took that and that concept and uh, ended up moving to Denver and started a swing dance and also started a swing uh, group. Um, with me as frontman called David Guest and the City Kids, and that actually was the uh, the nucleus, like the kind of the beginning of the This Is Vintage Now series. Huh. Well, yeah, I really enjoyed those times with the when Big Band made the big comeback with Squirrel Nut Zipper and Big Bad Voodoo Daddy yeah. and all those bands. They, yep. they were fantastic. It was a good time. I went. You know, I've been actually, believe it or not, doing research on. Um, that period, uh, I actually got to connect with a gentleman by the name of Michael Moss, who ran Swing Time Magazine, which was like the big magazine that was covering everything. And he sent me a couple of the final issues of that magazine. And I have been going through, like combing through them and actually buying records from people like uh, Eddie Reed Big Band and uh, D- um, Dean Mora and uh, people like that. I've, I've been bu- actually buying these records and listening back. And I'm realizing holy mackerel, this is a whole um, kind of a forgotten um, genre, really, is what it comes down to. And these, there, there's some buried treasures in there that, you know, definitely need to be dug up again. So oh, I, yeah, I agree that, I mean, It really yeah. was an exciting time. That was all really great stuff. I Yeah, I, I've had to replace a couple of times my very first Big Bad, bad Voodoo Daddy CD because I keep losing it or... 
breaking in. Or oh, I just like. got that recently. If you're talking about, about the, the the self-titled one that's uh, on Coolsville EMI Capital, just kind of got that big funny uh, cover on it and whatever. I just I just got that recently myself. Oh, wow. um, and, awesome. Yeah, went through it. So um, yeah, that's all, all tons of fun there. So there you so, go. Well, so David, tell us how you went from DJing and fronting a swing band to taking on the mantle of music producer, which led to the eventual release of This Is Vintage Now, Volume 2. Right. So um, that was kind of a, um, it was just kind of a thing where of necessity, but it was something I was wanting to do that whole time anyway. Um, when I was working as uh, doing the uh, swing dance, much of the work I was doing was behind the scenes. You know, there was a lot of work involved that nobody saw. And I loved doing that work as much as I loved um, fronting a band, you know, and being in front of people. So I was, I was very comfortable doing both, you know. And um, what happened was that there just got to be where there wasn't really a need for entertainers anymore, um, at least within what I was experiencing. And But what wasn't needed was this need for a, um, a, a really strong, solid scene. What happened around 2010 was, of course, Mad Men got very popular and the uh, things kind of shifted where everything kind of, you know, centered around Mad Men more or less. Uh, so that's where the vintage scene kind of went, especially in the UK. And I was following all this stuff. You know, 2010 was like the bit was a big uh, breakthrough year in the UK specifically because of the uh, vintage at Goodwood uh, festival, which started that year. Um, and uh, it's now called the vintage festival. And I was following all that, but I felt like there was, I felt like there was something missing, you know, like this, like it's, it was like a, a scene with a, that wasn't that good that had a fantastic name and I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be as good as the name. We'll put it that way. And one of the things that I was seeing that was going on was that there was no, um, there, there was no, how do you want to say this? Uh, like music should be kind of the flag that people go around or what kind of gather around and that wasn't happening, you know? And so I, and I was seeing in the meantime, doing all this research and finding that there were no, um, there, there really wasn't that much work being done to kind of, uh, connect all these wonderful artists to uh, the people who were in interested in all this madman type of stuff. And so I was trying to, with the This Is Vintage Now series, to kind of bring this kind of little umbrella in where people could kind of learn about the artists and, you know, check it out and get it, get into all that um, and kind of know who they were. Another thing was at the time, a lot of those artists weren't really talking to each other. Like nobody knew anybody, nobody was talking to each other. And that of course has changed a lot uh, since then. I'm really grateful for that. But that was another thing as I saw, I was like, yeah, we, we just, we need to bring people together. And that was the, um, the idea behind this is vintage now volume one. Well, yeah, um, that was going to be my very next question, man. You had previously done volume one back in 2011. Is that right? Correct. That's yeah, right. And so, yeah, so would you like, would you like to talk about that release at all? And, and if uh, your sure. fans of volume two would like to get a copy, how could they access volume one? Yeah. 
well, to make that easy, uh, get on Spotify and you'll see it. Um, it's been, uh, it's done really well on Spotify. In fact, uh, we're at, uh, three, about 3 million song plays now. And, um, th- we're in a whole bunch of Spotify playlists and stuff like that. Spotify happened to be where it really took off. So all you got to do is just get on old Spotify type. This is vintage now. And it'll come right up. Um, yeah. What happened with that was, um, it was actually a very similar thing where, um, I had an idea for an MP3 insert, uh, that, uh, that I, I went and talked to another vintage magazine based in the UK that's now defunct. And I, uh, presented it just like I did with exotic modern. I presented this idea of an album that would be, um, available in one of their magazines. Now they went for it up to a point and, uh, at, there was actually a point where, um, I sent them the bill for the mastering and they thought it was too high. <laughs> so they, they, uh, decided that they didn't want to do the project after all. And when that happened, I thought, well, my, I've gotten this far and I promised this to my artists. So, um, I need to keep going. I need to do this myself. And so when that happened, I, um, that's, that's what I uh, decided to do. I worked with my little brother on creating a website for it and we, um, were, and I, um, got the album released, uh, July or excuse me, June 21st, 2011. And then it kind of took off from there. And the things that really got it to where it really started moving was number one, Spotify, uh, had just opened up to the United States, uh, it, it opened up the next month after it um, that uh, this Vintage Now volume came out. That was the first thing that happened, and then the oh, other wow. thing was that yeah, that uh, one of our artists, Carl Emerald, ended up being a best-selling artist in uh, the UK and in Europe, uh, specifically in the UK. Uh, her next album actually debuted at number one on the BBC charts. Wow! So she did really. Oh yeah, she did really, really well, and that uh, those two things together was what um, you know really um, help this has been now volume one out a lot uh, specifically in Spotify. So you're, you already mentioned Talia Faro and since, since our show's focus is, you know, mid century, I like that on both releases, you included girl singers from the fifties and sixties, such as Beverly, Kenny, Carol Creveling, Sue Rainey, and, Talia Faro. Um, these are vocalists whose names may not be familiar to listeners of the mid modcast. Um, what, what were your reasons for including them on those, uh, on the two releases and were there any challenges associated with including them? The, uh, to answer the second part of that, the challenges haven't been that hard. Um, they're mostly, it's mostly just, you know, care and feeding of gatekeepers. That's the best way I can describe it. You know, when the gatekeepers kind of know that, you know, that your, you know, intentions are good and that you're going to pay them and stuff like that, uh, you know, pay them in advance, all that fun stuff, then it's not so bad. Um, The reason for um, including uh, Beverly Kenny and Carol Kreveling, which were actual 50s artists on This Is Vintage Now Volume 1, had to do with um, there being a couple of really great, um, Japanese releases that were both produced by uh, jazz historian Film Reed, or did I say Film Reed? Bill Reed, uh, jazz historian Bill Reed, who, um, yeah, he, he put together these really wonderful reissues that were released by Sinatra Society of Japan, a.k.a. Just SSJ Records. Um, and th- they're, they're just both just incredible 
reissues that just take you right back. And, um, you know, they, for people like myself, I love hearing these kind of older, uh, like these lesser known artists, because to me, instead of, you know, getting dumped right in all the cliches, what I'm doing is I'm taking the back roads and I'm, uh, you know, going to all the little smoky bars where things are ha- were happening at happening at the time and kind of getting and uh, kind of getting a, a, a better atmosphere as far as that's concerned. So that's why I take such a strong interest in all these lesser known artists. So with Beverly Kenny and Carol Kreveling, um, I, they were, these were just incredible reissues that I wanted people to hear. And um, the, the Beverly Kenny one ended up being one of the uh, more popular tracks on the album. So that's for that part. Now with Sue Rainey and um, Talia Farrow, those two situations were a little different in that Sue, she's a legacy vocalist that goes all the way back to Capitol Records. Uh, She signed with Capitol Records in her late teens in, I think, 1958, if I remember right, and uh, had a long, long career, a very, very varied career, too. Um, And she's been like a, um, you know, a session musician or, you know, session vocalist. And also like a vocal uh, vocal coach, she's done a lot of that, and uh, she still performs, still release, or until very recently was releasing albums, and one of them also produced by uh, Bill Reed was uh, called Listen Here. It was uh, recorded here um, here in the L.A. area, and then uh, there was a um, an American version, and then there's a Japanese version that came out once again on SSJ. The Japanese version had an extra track that wasn't available anywhere else. Um, it's called um, Aren't You Glad You're You. And I ended up licensing that track from Bill Reed uh, for, uh, for this particular album. Uh, what has happened since then is that um, SSJ Records went out of business, so the Japanese version of the album has suddenly become very rare, and we're the ones who are keeping this little track alive uh, now that that uh, Japanese version is no longer with us. That's kind of an interesting thing that happened. Talia Farrow is a different story where it's also Bill Reed related. Um, there is a book I've, I've talked about, One Shot Wonders. There is a book uh, that he released uh, that um, chronicles the One Shot Wonder artists. And uh, one of the ones that are in, that's in there, she's not a One Shot Wonder, but he thought she was at the time, was Talia Farrow. And um, a, a really bizarre thing happened where uh, there is a, a, a floor show uh, called the Johnny Holiday Program that plays here in town. And what did they have? Is who did they have as one of their guest performers? But Talia Farrow. And wow. I saw that, and I was like, "I'm yes." I saw that, and I was like, "I'm going. I have to go. Yes. I have to oh, be wow. there." <laughs> and so I ended yeah. up talking with her, and I ended up, and I ended up finding out. You guys know the song Wave by Antonio Carlos Jobim? You know that song? Oh, yeah. That was written for her. No way. By Antonio Carlos Jobim. Isn't wow. that funny? She's the wave. She's not the girl from Ipanema, but she's close. She's the wave girl. She Isn't is. that the best? <laughs> what, what kind so, of shape was anyway, she in? <laughs> and um, she, uh, Talia, she's, uh, she's, she's actually pretty pretty sturdy, like in good, in good shape. She's... Um, <laughs> Uh, just uh, like kind of a, a short gal, you could uh, just uh, she she in her prime, she was gorgeous, very very beautiful gal, and she doesn't doesn't look bad now in in my opinion. I I, I and I loved 
I love meeting her. She's a little. I'm a, I'm a short guy myself. I'm five six, and she's uh, shorter than me. <laughs> how is she vocally and as an older woman too? Incredible, nice. very good. You're going to hear it when we listen to the album at the end. You'll see. Yeah, uh, you, a funny thing was one of the things that one of the reasons that we remixed this. This is the album. The track that's on here is an actual remix. And one of the things oh. that happened, kind of a late in the day decision that they made was to put auto-tune on her voice. Well, mm. uh, guess mm. what? As a vintage guy, I hate auto-tune. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I wanted that out. I, I wanted that out. And I actually talked to uh, her and her husband, John, uh, who, uh, John Rodby, who uh, was the conductor-arranger on this. He was Dinah Shore's music director for many years. Wow. Uh, I talked I, I talk with him, and I said, hey, um, I want to use this track, but... Uh, I'd like to, you know, do some things to try to uh, make it a little bit more vintage sounding. Would it be okay if we remixed it? And they said yes. So, uh, we, and we nice. did. So, um, yeah. And yeah, of course, when I listened to it, yeah, of course she didn't need. Of course, she didn't need the auto tune. Uh. <laughs> you listen, yeah, you listen to it. You you and like it, it is pitch perfect. And it's like, why is that auto tune on there? Right. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but but yeah. But like I said, that that was like with the remix. That's what we did. Was there was and there was a few other things that we did too, to that to just kind of work on it a little bit. But you know, the uh, mastering engineer or the mixing engineer Bill Matoyer and I, we were looking at the work like when we were looking at the actual files, we were looking at the sheer amount of work they were doing. I was like, oh my gosh, this is incredibly well thought out. You know, we don't have much to do because they've done almost all the work. This is unbelievable. So you know, yeah, just a few tweaks, and now all of a sudden we got this great sounding vintage track and. Uh, it, uh, um, it debuts on this is finished now volume two. I'm really proud of it. So anyway, that yeah, that was the, that was the story there. Yeah, it's and, it, and what a great backstory. I love hearing all that stuff and the technical aspect aspects. You know, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes that that we don't really we don't really know about. So thanks for sharing well, that. Well, right. Um, I love. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I, 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 are you ready to move on or? Oh, oh, I was just going to mention that uh, this kind of ties into what I was talking about previously, where I like being up in front of people and I like being in the, behind the scenes and the, you know, back of the clock too. So, I mean, I, I love both. And so, you know, to be able to kind of come in and tell those stories about all the little things we were doing, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. But yeah, continue, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Uh, oh no, no! <laughs> I, I I'm loving hearing all this. So uh, I love that you Thank also you. included a cut from um, from Robert Drazen's Voodoo Three on Volume Two. And just quick backstory for people who aren't aware: he uh, he's he's a composer, musician, and composer that made uh, a record called Voodoo back in the late '50s for a cheapo budget label. Um, and, you know, it was seemingly forgotten once the Exotica craze of the day was over. Um, it also was released later, again, on a budget label under the name Percussion Exotique or Exotic. But then years right. later, he was rediscovered in the 90s. And 40-ish years later, after the first one, was asked to do another Voodoo release. And then later on Voodoo 3, just before his death in 2015. So would you like to talk about your experience working with Drasnin or his reps? I'd be happy to. Um, so I never, now here's where I want to mention that I never actually worked with uh, Drasnin directly. 
Um, I, I've, I've never met him or anything like that. Uh, but I've worked really closely with uh, Skip Heller, who was his uh, collaborator and um, who uh, produced the Voodoo 3 album. Give you a little bit of uh, backstory with the, um, the with Voodoo 1. So Tops Records is the name of that uh, record company. Dave Pell was working for him at the time of Dave Pelsinger's fame. And um, he had asked uh, Drasman to do um, a, uh, an Exotica album because that was a big hot thing at that time. And so that record came out in 59. And, uh, you know, years later, uh, Exotica became a very big thing and uh, amongst collectors and stuff like that. And they were kind of, you know, people were kind of putting together like a, I guess you could say kind of a canon of all the different Exotica artists and, of course, and, and Exotica music. And one of them, of course, was uh, Voodoo by Robert Drasnan. Now, uh, what happened was uh, Drasnan had um, gone on to become, he's one, he was um, one of the, um, the higher-ups in uh, the music department at CBS Television, and he retired from that, and Skip Heller, uh, the, uh, uh, who's a musician and buddy of mine, he actually um, got a hold of Drasnan uh, and essentially was talking to him about, you know, that album and ta- and was talking to him about the idea of, um, you know, like re- relaunching uh, a career. And at the very beginning, according to Skip, uh, he was very suspicious to the point that he thought that this was a joke or something like that. He, he just, <laughs> just, he had, that's how far he had forgotten about it. But of course what happened instead was that this became like a retirement career for him, you know, where, oh, where wow. he uh, ended up, Oh yeah. He ended up playing all the different uh, Tiki festivals and um, things that, you know, uh, conventions and things at the time. And it was a, it was just a real big hit. People loved it. And so now that's what people remember him for more, more, more than anything else he did. Uh, well, this, uh, you know, this one little record uh, that was just supposed to be kind of a mood record in 1959. <laughs> so there you go. Um, nice. With Exo- let me, yeah, let me tell you what happened with uh, Ex- uh, Exotica 3. So that, okay, Exotica 2 came out in 2007, and then Exotica 3 came, like there was an initial 2015 version of that that was like a preview version that came out at Tiki Oasis. And they, uh, they had the album finished, but I think they still wanted, had some things that they were kind of wanting to work on, but they still wanted to get it to people and get the interest going, etc. And so they released uh, a real limited version of that in 2015 at Tiki Oasis. They released a few, uh, and they had a few left over after Tiki Oasis 2015 was done, and they put those on the Dionysus Records website. Well, of course I grabbed one like immediately. And um, I went through the record, and Hula Blue was one of the tracks that really stood out to me. And I was realizing this would be a great, this would be a great fit for the, for this is finished out volume two. I had kind of this little hole at the beginning that I needed to fill and it was just a, a great fit in there. now it's not an exotica track. It's more like a, uh, kind of a jazz fusion type, uh, lounge, kind of lounge jazz fusion type of a track. Um, but it's still very good. And, uh, it takes you right back to the period. And I, I yeah, I, I hope, I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, let's give it a listen right now. I'm going to do it.
Wonderful cut. And uh, it's so warm. You, Dave, you, you uh, were in the interview in Exotica Modern, issue 11. You talked about a warm mastering sound. And I know being a studio guy myself back in the early 80s, when digital was first starting to come around, there was always a, a big debate about digital just sounds kind of harsh compared to the warmth of analog recording. And there was kind of that back and forth that was going on. How did you go about getting this warmer sound? And, and what what's behind that? That's a, uh, that's a really good question. As I mentioned, uh, how I got introduced to this whole um, uh, genre, the space age pop genre, was due to uh, the um, uh, Steve Hoffman mastered um, music for a ba- music from a Bachelor's Den um, series that uh, was released by Digital Compact Classics, which was a competitor of Mobile Fidelity Sound Lab, and so he really went for the warm sound himself and uh, trying to get a really good sound out of these, uh, some of the, like, vinyl sources and stuff like that. And um, so I really, I, I, I'm a kind of an odd guy for a vintage guy in that I am crazy about CDs. I love CDs. <laughs> and I was just so impressed uh, in the 90s when I was hearing the Mobile Fidelity Sound Lab audiophile CDs. I loved the sound of those things. And so when I would, so when you have the loudness war come in and ultimately it was, it became so overbearing and so um, omnipresent that now we've got the situation where people think that the, uh, that's the only way CDs can sound is loud and harsh and nasty. And it's just not true. What it comes down to is people think that vinyl sounds better and because uh, there's essentially a, a set of sounds um, that uh, in the um, range of what we can hear that are like kind of dog whistle range where we just, uh, you know, they're, they're just, they're nothing but pain is what it comes down to. <laughs> and CDs can get those sounds, like the, um, digital can get those sounds. Um, and that is it really at the bottom of why um, people hate CDs is because you got these, you know, like you've got white noise, you've got, uh, yeah, like I said, dog whistle quality sounds, you know, like you hear dogs whine in pain when they hear a dog whistle. Well, that's us for these particular sounds. <laughs> and uh, it's true. <laughs> but, and that, and that's the thing it's like, uh, that you have with digital is it's, it's good, but it's almost too good in a way that's not necessarily a bad thing you got more to work with but ultimately you do have to get rid of those sounds and kind of work within the sounds that are comfortable for the human ear and so what happened with me was i was really intent and that was one of the one of the things that took this album so long was i was really intent on we've got to get this warm sound and that you know that most people think that you have to go to vinyl for you don't have to go to vinyl for it if it's done right it can uh it it can there's no reason that a cd can't sound warm and cozy too it's you know it's you know same set of you know same set of frequencies Um, yeah there are a lot of people who who are you know insistent well you got to use a tube amp and you got to use two mics and you got you know go completely old school but uh you've managed to find ways that are not old school that you get a lot of that cool sound. It's great. 
thank you. It's really true. Uh, you know, and that's another thing is people think, well, you don't have the full sound. Actually, you, you've got everything you can hear. You know, there's, there's only a certain amount when you cut down to like the number of bits, you know, per second or whatever, the human ear can't tell any difference, you know, so maybe you don't have the full sound, mm-hmm. and, but, but, you, but you do. And ultimately what it comes down to is it's, it's not, it's not any of that. It all has to do with what, uh, with what bit of the sound range you use. There's also some other tricks that um, the, uh, the people who do this um, work, can, can do. Uh, who I ended up working with, uh, Bill Matoyer, uh, who I mentioned, uh, he got me about 80% of the way. He did uh, a lot of what I was looking for as far as getting the warm, cozy sound. And then I finished it off with um, a lady by the name of Jessica Thompson, who actually specializes in uh, audio restoration. She is Grammy-nominated for her work with um, doing the um, restoration of the tapes for uh, the Complete Concert of the Sea, or excuse me, the Complete Concert by the Sea by Errol Garner. She's done a whole bunch of work with him. Uh, so, the, oh, wow. uh, yeah, she... That's yeah, a great record. I haven't heard it yet, to be honest with you. I, I, there's so many things I haven't gotten to, and you happen to hit <laughs> one of them. But not lying to you, but uh, I, I, I've got it on a, um, I've got it on one of my wish lists. So I definitely want to get it for Jessica alone. She's she's such a great gal, and she's so talented at being able to get the sounds that I want. And yeah, we we end up doing a lot of stuff where I'll have her kind of uh, bring up the 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 lower highs, uh, so we get a nice crisp sound, which, you know, you might not be able to get as well on, um, on vinyl. So that's like something that actually puts, uh, you know, puts this a little on top and then you, uh, and then we will like roll off the really hard, like the dog whistle sounds. Like, I, I mean, I'll have her do like a, like that hurts too much in my ears. <laughs> uh, we're going to do a big old hard roll off on that. And then there's some other cl- like little tricks that they, they can do too and stuff like that. Uh, that you know, I I don't know. We won't get it go into it too far because it gets boring. But this is uh, but yeah, there it can be done, and that is exactly what I was trying to prove with this particular album. As really drawing a line in the sand and saying, it doesn't have to be that way. It can, you know, music can be warm. It can be cozy on digital. You know, so that that's kind of an un- and like I said, kind of an unusual thing. For a guy that's into the vintage stuff, you'd think he'd be like a you know big vinyl file, and I love vinyl. I appreciate the vinyl revival, but at the same time, I I still feel like uh, you know that CDs just need to be done right, and that was this was my kind of flag you know kind of flag I was kind of putting up to say that. <laughs> you, you know, it's interesting. I was downstairs working on the Royal Ohana Room, which is the finest tiki bar in uh, Parma, <laughs> Ohio. By the way. <laughs> Also, the only it. tiki bar in Parma, Ohio. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we know of. Anyway, I, I had the record player going, and and I realized it's kind of irritating that you know five or six songs later, you gotta go over and flip the darn thing <laughs> over, and you know it's it, it's cool having the vinyl, but it's also cool having the CDs. I I I, I get that. It's it's pretty cool to yeah. uh, have options. What, a, what I would like to say that. I love about the CD is that it has the most advantages and the least disadvantages of any format. You know, when you think about this is like a kind of a hybrid, um, 
between the you know the old analog. It is actually kind of like a hybrid between the old analog and the new digital in a way. You've get got the whole um, analog like, or excuse me, the whole album experience where you know you open up the record and you put it on and all that fun stuff. You have all that, but that goes on for eighty minutes, you know, and you don't have to, to touch anything. You don't have to worry about uh, about. Uh, static, like the only place I like to hear snap, snap crackle, pop is in my cereal bowl. So there you go. You know, yeah. you, you can take it on the road with you, you know, like where <laughs> exactly. it's a little harder to do with vinyl, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Well, so David, as we're getting close to the end of the show, I wanted to ask, uh, what are some future David Gaston product uh, projects that we can look forward to? Well, a lot of the ones that are coming up are going to be Japan-related. I've got a whole bunch of stuff I'm going to be doing with uh, Laura Ainsworth. Laura, uh, she is my jazz client. She's on This Is Vintage Now Volume 2, uh, track one, in fact. Um, right now, we are finishing up a best-of album for her. Uh, she did a vinyl-only record called Top Shelf in 2017, and we've got a brand-new version of that that's coming out on mini-LP CD in Japan in September. And then also she just recorded a new album, uh, called, um, you asked for it. And, um, it's kind of based around the Julie London, Juliet home album, which is this really famous record that she did in 1960, where she, um, uh, essentially just had all the musicians set up and record in her living room. And she didn't quite go that far, you know, cause, um, they, they've got a whole bunch of parrots in there, and that wouldn't work out so good. But they did uh, do kind of the same thing at Crystal Clear uh, Studios in Dallas, where they uh, got it as close to like kind of a jam sessiony feel as they possibly could. And so uh, we are going to be working on releasing that for Japan as well. Also, we're going to be releasing a Japanese version of This Is Vintage Now Volume Two with a couple extra tracks uh, that will initially only be available for Japan. However, um, in time, we are going to make that available as a mini LPCD and have it available here as an import. So a lot of, a lot of Japan-related stuff. Nice. I did hear the word initially. So we'll look forward to seeing that uh, come up in the future. So yep. this is Vintage Now, Volume 2, is what we're talking about today. Um, as of the date of the show, copies of Exotica Modern Issue 11 are still available. However, this, this is um, this is a premium magazine that does run out. Um, sadly, you have to right. buy individual copies. You can't um, do a subscription, unfortunately. Um, and just, just to caution our fans houseoftaboo.com make sure you spell it t-a-b-u uh, otherwise <laughs> you may end up at a website you didn't really um intend like nsfw um, a, a, anyway. uh, not not work friendly uh website <laughs> we'll say that yeah right. thank um, you glad you guys caught that so true oh uh, yeah go to house of taboo T-A-B-U.com, and you, uh, you can purchase copies there for a limited time. They are actually selling out pretty quickly. What I'm planning on doing, I'm actually trying to get the you know, kind of final touches on this um, as we speak, is I'm planning on releasing This Is Vintage Now Volume 2 with alternate artwork that's going to be going back up on Spotify where This Is Vintage Now Volume 1 is, and I'm hoping by the time uh, this podcast comes out, you should just be able to go to Spotify, go, this is Vintage Now, Volume 2, and it'll come up. So and you might, well, VOL 2, and it'll come up. So um, 
that is that's the plan is to kind of follow in uh, the footsteps. One of the things that we're going to be doing is a really uh, big uh, Spotify campaign where the Italia Ferro track "Wave" that that's the remix that's not a, uh, that's on this album, not available anywhere else. We're going to be I'm going to be reaching out to a lot of different uh, people who are curators of Spotify playlists and uh, working on getting that track into as many Spotify playlists as we possibly can. So that's, um, that's the plan there. So, uh, and that should hopefully lead into uh, the lovely Talia Farrell Wave track, and I can tell you more about it if you need it, or you just let me know. Well, David, thanks for your hard work for, uh, you know, getting the music out there to the masses, um, making these uh you know, obscure artists more available to everyone. If, if our fans or anyone listening to the show wanted to get in touch with you, uh, do you have a website? How, how would they do that? Yeah. So, uh, best thing uh, right now would be the, definitely the website. So, uh, that's, uh, this is vintage now.com. If you go over to contact, uh, you can uh, get a hold of me there and I've got a, a mailing list you can subscribe to if you, uh, opt to if you'd like to and you can contact me there and i'll um i'll write you back fabulous now we always ask our guests uh, a very very important question two-part question uh tell us an ingredient or something that belongs in jello and something that does not ever belong in jello i got a short and long answer for you the, sh- the short answer is fruit belongs in jello crescent wrenches don't that's the short, but, that, but there's another. But I got a better question, answer to that, and that is that depends on what decade you're in. So nowadays we have the uh, uh, Jello very pared down as to what it is. You know, pretty much it's just a, a dessert. You know, so um, what uh, that uh, with, with you know that with fruit in it and stuff like that. And um, but when you go back to the 1950s. Everything went in Jello, and Jello went in everything. <laughs> all you got to do is look at the ads from the time, and it's it's unbelievable. All of these crazy savory uh, dishes and things like that that there are that uh, include uh, Jello in them. Jello and mayonnaise seem to be like the most uh, <laughs> omnipresent things in no. mid century cuisine. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, what one of the things it's it, it's. Hmm such a strange world, especially to us when we're used to just, uh, you know, all this ethnic food and all this healthy food and all this stuff that, you know, it's a very different world. And what, and to the point, and it's been interesting enough to me to where I've been trying to get my head around, what were they thinking back then? Why were they doing that and stuff like that? (laughs) And uh, one of the things that um, actually helped answer that question for me is is something I would like to recommend all of uh, your listeners check out. It's a YouTube series called uh, Recipe Archaeology. What it is is it's these two best girlfriends from Oklahoma, and they they are kind of like a classic kind of Abbott and Costello type character where you got a straight one like the straight character and then you got the um a gal that's a little bit more of a foil and they're also very good cooks one of them's even been on chopped believe it or not wow and what they yeah what they do is they go through these books and they find the weirdest uh madman type recipes they can possibly find <laughs> they make them up and then they try them on camera and the and one of the things i really love about this particular thing is they don't disparage the period. They try to understand why 
were, were, oh. were these things made this way? You know, uh-huh. they try to kind of, th- they try to kind of figure that out. Why were they, what was the mindset that went into this stuff? <laughs> I and, love it. Uh, that, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, it's just a, uh, it's just such a lovable show. I'm a huge, like massive fan of this particular show and it will, and I've learned a lot about mid-century cuisine, um, just watching this. So I definitely want to recommend everybody check out recipe archeology. span That's what it's called at YouTube. Just type recipe archeology span and just fire away. See what they look at. They got green goddess salad and all these really bizarre things. Yeah. All these really bizarre things that they go in there and try and you get to see them try it and see what, how they respond. So in some of the stuff is terrible and some of the stuff is fantastic. They absolutely love it. And they end up, you know, making it for, for, uh, for their friends and family and stuff. So for what it's worth, we, uh, <laughs> went to the Jello museum in New York <laughs> and, uh, nice. they, the ladies there, the, the, who run the place told us that one of the reasons that people started putting meat and all sorts of weird things like that in Jello is it was kind of a, coming out of the depression kind of dish and it kind of became like stew and it was a way to stretch your meat. You just put it in gelatin. So Ooh. it was kind of like a uh, gelatinous stew, I guess. Oh. But anyway, yeah. The, the, yeah. The, the gals actually have like a chicken, uh, like a, uh, like a chicken, what we would call aspic, uh, that, that is in the, it's in the recipe archeology span thing. Yeah. Look for it. You know, it's, it's, the funniest thing you have this you know gelatinous thing that has got chicken in it and that that would be an example of that so yeah highly recommended well david gaston it's been a blast having you on the mid modcast uh i think we're pretty much out of time but i just want to tell you stay swell we'll see you soon and uh hopefully all the rest of you will keep coming back we're gonna go out with wave Os olhos já não podem ver Coisas que só o coração pode entender Fundamental é mesmo o amor É impossível ser feliz sozinho O resto é mar E tudo que não se contar Vendi mansinho a brisa e me disse é impossível ser feliz sozinho. Da primeira vez era cidade, da segunda o queijo da eternidade. Agora eu já sei. Da onda que cerqueu no mar E das estrelas Que esquecemos de contar O amor se deixa surpreender Enquanto a noite vem no chão Thank you.
Catch the wave. <laughs> 